0: Hey there, welcome to the Student to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Mason. We're talking to entrepreneurs who launched their business at a young age and they're now killing the game. Tune in to our episodes as these guests spill the dirt on taking that leap into entrepreneurship just like they did. Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Student to CEO Podcast. I'm so excited to have Nicole Peterkin-Morong joining us today. Nikki is the founder of Peterkin Financial and has been in practice since 2011. As an advisor, she emphasizes using money as a tool to get the lifestyle you want instead of viewing it as the obstacle to that lifestyle. She is also a speaker and a published author. Her book, If You Love Your Family, Save Like It, can be purchased on Amazon and in select bookstores. Nikki, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely. I'd love if you could start off by sharing with our listeners what you do and what led you there. Wow, big question.
1: Um, (laughs) So I am a um, fee-based financial planner which is just a fancy way for saying that I charge clients an annual fee to help them look at all of their financial resources, like their pay stubs, their tax returns, their debt, their investments. And I figure out how to get all of those financial assets coordinated and working harder for them so that they can more efficiently reach their goals. So some goals might be retirement or saving for college for their children or being able to buy their dream house or Whatever is important to them, I'm kind of trying to help them um, optimize their money so that they can can achieve those things more efficiently. I got into it because growing up um, in my household, my parents always kind of emphasized hard work, getting, you know, a high paying, good job. So kind of, you know, doing those white collar, trying to become a doctor, become a lawyer, become an engineer. It was always, you know, study hard so that you can get a great job in like an expert field so that you can, you know, make great money and climb the corporate ladder and be able to provide for your family. And when I was 21, my dad suddenly passed away. And I just started realizing that like that whole, you know, societal, it wasn't just in our family. It's like a societal thing, right? It's that whole um, perception that that's the path to success that you need to like Work hard now and sacrifice like your time for money um, so that later you can relax and enjoy your money. That didn't work out for my dad, who died when he was 47. So I kind of felt like I needed to break the cycle. And I thought that the only way to do that would be to be my own boss. So that's number one. Um, but the other thing was is my dad was super smart, made really great money, um, you know, was pretty successful and he still didn't have that figured out he thought that chasing money would you know solve all of our problems it didn't Um, so i thought okay if my dad thought that that was the path and it didn't end up working for us there must be a lot of other smart people who are earning great money who if they could get help figuring out how to optimize their money so that they could spend more time with their families instead of working hard working hard working hard they can get their money to work as hard for them as they're working, then maybe their families could get more time back with them and they could prioritize what really matters. So so that's how
0: I ended up here. Which is so important to remember because I know when I was just starting my business, I was really guilty of that whole mindset that you just mentioned of thinking that I needed to work more to make more money to therefore do the things that I want. But like you said, time is so much more valuable than money in that aspect. So I think that the work that you do with your clients is so important to help them understand that they don't always need to put in more time in order to kind of have more wealth and be able to live the life that they want. Yeah, definitely. And what was it actually like going into your first financial planning career in 2011? So financial planning is kind of a weird industry where um,
1: there are some hourly and salaried positions, but those positions are typically um, at like bigger financial institutions, or it's to like be what's called a para planner. So in this industry, if you want to um, really be your own boss and start your business. You're, it's kind of like being a realtor. So with a real estate agent, you know there's not usually any salary and it's you sell a house, you make a commission and that's kind of how you survive. If you're good at selling houses or if you can sell enough houses to be able to pay your bills, then you're good. and if you can't, then you kind of figure out that you need to do something else. Um, that's how the financial planning industry is. Um, most financial planners get compensated by, Um, commissions for selling insurance and investment products or fees for investing people's money. And it's kind of like a numbers game. So the more, you know, the more dollars that you can manage, the more money you make, or the more products you can sell, the more money that you make. Um, So it's all about, it's just a numbers game. It's it's basically commission-based sales. Um, And like planning is the vehicle to be able to sell products, right? Like you have to understand what your client wants so that you can you know, pick the, you know, you can identify the right product fit or the right investment fit or help them, you know, feel confident to invest their money with you. Um, But it's really, you know, eat what you kill. It's really like, yeah, usually no
0: salary. Right. And just because I know this about you, and I think it's so interesting that I want our listeners to know, I would love if you could kind of go into, kind of what led you to actually stopping working with another firm to actually starting your own? So when I started
1: out, um, I was affiliated with a big insurance company, but how it worked is, you know, they bring you in and they say, okay, we're going to give you training. But like, there was no salary, no, no stipend, no nothing, but they had us like paying for things. So I think that that gave me an entrepreneurial mindset from the beginning. I know some there are some financial institutions who will recruit you in. And like in the beginning, there's a small salary or they'll pay for a lot of your stuff to get you up and running. So they won't necessarily pay you anything, but you know, they'll give you a desk or they, you know what I mean? Like they'll kind of set you up so that you can get your feet wet. Um, The environment that I came into was like, here's the structure for how we think that you can be successful. We're going to get a cut of everything that you bring in. In exchange for training that we give you, but you need to run this like a business. So if you, you know, we expect you to come into the office and go to trainings and stuff. And if you want somewhere to work while you're in the office, if you want to be able to sit at a desk or have a cubicle, you need to pay a monthly fee for that. Um, All of our technology and software packages, you need to pay a monthly fee for that. So you can't sell anything if you don't have the software to be able to run the different illustrations and stuff. Mm. Um, So Right off the bat, like even if you didn't want to spend a lot of money starting out, there were some things you had to buy. So unlike a franchise, there was no like upfront big, big cost to get set up um, when I was affiliated with that firm. But there were monthly costs that you had to pay. So from the beginning, I was already in the mindset of, okay, this is my business. I have overhead. I need to make money. Um And if I can't succeed at working for myself and making enough revenue, then I'll go somewhere else. So I ended up not staying affiliated with bigger companies. And that was just because there was like a a difference in philosophy, right? Right. I don't think that there's like a right or wrong thing of like being independent or being with a company. Um, But the the, the larger companies, in my experience, really want you to sell certain products, like you you may or may not have a quota but you really get pushed to like sell more do more and to me if somebody's telling me what i need to show up and do that's not really my own business and i didn't want to be selling products i wanted you know to be able to say to a client hey i want to help you with your money and you know if this arrangement works for you you know pay me $200 a month or pay me $5000 a year or pay whatever works pay me for my time and I'll give you advice and we don't have to sell anything. I don't have to sell anything for you. I can just help you. And Mm. that model doesn't really make the big companies money. (laughs) So it was like a philosophy difference, right? I ended up going off on my own after trying out multiple different companies who all said like the first company that I was with, I realized that I couldn't have the business that I wanted there. And I figured, okay, well, I only make money if I sell stuff. That's no different if I go anywhere else. So let me figure out what company is a good fit to align myself with. So I tried out two other bigger companies running my business with them. And I just felt like at the end of the day, I was the one working hard. I was the one networking. I was the one paying all my overhead and expenses and everyone else is making money off of me. And I was just like fighting the culture all the time. Like I was fighting the pressure to sell things. And I figured, okay, well, I'm already running a business anyway. I might as well just like take the extra jump and be completely on my own. And so that's what I did.
0: Well, absolutely, because I mean, just kind of thinking about it now, I'm sure very early on you had this realization where you're like, I'm already paying expenses to this company. I might as well pay my own expenses as myself and not have a cut taken out of the profit that I'm making. So like you said, I mean, you're already doing everything to be an entrepreneur, but just doing it for someone else. So I think it's really powerful to be able to have that realization and then be able to act upon it and move into your own firm like you did.
1: Yeah. I think something that I learned, and I'm sure that this is the same in a lot of industries, something that I didn't know that I was younger, but that I realize now is that everyone who's trying to recruit you or like sell you into a career makes money off of you. So I think I like kind of understood that, but I really didn't. And so sometimes I would like, go to different people for advice. And I would I would say like, hey, I just want to hang a shingle up. I just want to like, I don't want to be affiliated with anyone. I just want to say like Nikki Peterkin, money coach and charge people for advice. And I don't care if I have anyone backing me. I think that I've been successful thus far. People work with me for me. And I just want to like hang a shingle and charge for my advice. And I don't care if I have to let go of all my certifications or licenses or anything. And people would say to me like, oh, no, you don't want to do that. Like, you you should come to my company or you should do this or you should do that. And they were coming across as that they were giving objective advice. But the truth of the matter is, is that if they could get me to come to their company, even if they were just an imp- like they had their business with the company they weren't like in management or anything mm. there's benefits to that for them like sometimes people get like a percentage of the business that you produce so like if I was making a hundred grand a year with that company, that person who referred me in might be making a thousand dollars a year off of just mentioning you know getting me into the company so there's all these like ulterior motives that you're really not clear on and I think that, Um, In some cases, it's ulterior motives. In some cases, when you're asking for advice from people who are affiliated with a company, they're giving you, they think that's the best thing. That's why they're there. So of course, they're going to, you know what I mean? Of course, they're going to tell you that that's what you should be doing. But the other side of it is that like people are just fearful. When you're on your own, it feels like it's riskier, right? I don't think it's riskier to be on your own than to be with a bigger company because the bigger company They weren't feeding me any leads. They weren't helping me with marketing. They weren't really helping me with anything except for telling me about their products that they wanted me to sell. They had like a, a vested interest in me selling those products. They weren't really helping me. Like I didn't even have any of those companies logos on my business card after I was, you know, in business for a couple of years on my own. Even though I had that company behind me, I was still Peterkin Financial. Like I was saying, I'm Nikki Peterkin with Peterkin Financial, not I'm Nikki Peterkin with XYZ Financial that has nothing to do with me. So, so right. all these people telling me that like you should, you know, you should be affiliated with a bigger company because it's better. You have more support. There's this perk. There's why wouldn't you want to be affiliated with a bigger company? People will take you more seriously. It's like yeah, that's not true. I don't know why I <laughs> believed it. Right. It just doesn't make any sense.
0: And I mean, exactly what you said too about the whole risk factor is so true because you're right. People have fears about that and they assume that by working with a big company or corporation that you're instantly more secure. And that is something that I heard too from people when I was saying that I was gonna go full-time with my business is like, what's the security in that? And it's awful to think about this and realize this, but I know so many people over the past seven months or however long it's been during this pandemic where they've worked for marketing agencies and gotten laid off. But here I am with busier than I was before the pandemic with stuff. So it's awful to realize that people are in that position, Mm -hmm. but it goes to show that being your own boss definitely is not riskier than working for someone else.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you know yourself, right? (laughs) And it's kind of like, if you work for another company in whatever capacity, if you're like working for a marketing firm and you're just doing marketing, but you're not necessarily bringing in clients, then if whoever is bringing in clients can't bring in as many clients or isn't or whatever the situation may be, their revenue is down, then you're easily dispensable because there's always someone who can do the marketing. Like there's always somebody who can do the tactical skill, right? Like there's there's always someone who can do a financial plan or who can do your taxes. Like learning how to do things like that isn't hard. Sales is hard. Getting people to open their wallet and pay you for services and keep paying you for services is hard. That's why people are always recruiting for sales positions. And that's why like the most successful small business people are good salespeople. And even if they're not good at like selling themselves, they can sell the outcome, what they can do for you. They can, there's some degree of, they can figure out how to communicate to the client that if you pay me XYZ, I will give you, you know, elemental P. Mm. And so being able to like generate business, be the rainmaker is like the financial jargon or financial industry jargon. <laughs> like you're the rainmaker, you bring in all the business. Everyone would not have a job if it wasn't for you is so valuable. So I mm. think that like, if you are starting out, the hardest part about starting out is having confidence because building confidence takes time. And part of like building confidence is validation and you get validation from people saying, yes, I want to hire you, but it's hard to get people to say, yes, I want to hire you. If you aren't confident in your pricing, confident in your pitch, confident in all of these things. So it's kind of like a push and pull. Like there are some times, you probably had this experience too, where like you're starting out, you don't really know what you're doing, but like you somehow say the right thing and somebody (laughs) hires you and you're like, oh, okay, uh, guess I got to learn how to do this now. (laughs) Yeah. And then you're like, well, I know I can do this. I'm glad they trusted me because I'm confident that I'm the kind of person who's going to get this done. And I'm going to stay, you know, stay up all night and take 12 hours to like do something that might've taken somebody else one hour. But now that I did it and the client's really happy, now I'm like, whoa, that client was really happy. I can do this again. And you start building your confidence slowly that's like the magic, right? So like, yeah, of course you can go work for somebody and they can pay you 10, 20, $30. And I don't know what these, you know, what, you know, market you're thinking of or like what skills, um, what your skills warrant for a dollar per hour. But, you know, if you can bring in clients, you can you know, make a thousand dollars an hour and you can work with a hundred people if you want to, not just the five people that your firm brings in. So I feel like your lifestyle flexibility, your income potential, you know, everything is higher. Your stress level higher, but like there's a payoff, right? So I think that um, it's worth it to be in business for yourself. And like, yes, it's scary, but I think a lot of the people who say like, oh, why would you do that? It's because they're jealous or nervous for you or, you know, they just don't know, like, right. they don't know whether or not you're going to be able to do it. Every business can make money, but I'm sure a lot of financial planners went out of business during the pandemic. I'm sure a lot of marketing people went out of business during the pandemic. Like, what's the difference between
0: us and them? They're dry. I don't know, you know, but like, right, yeah. I know. And and you brought up a lot of great points here, especially with the whole confidence aspect, because that is so, so true that one of the hardest things is just being able to build the confidence in yourself, but you only get that confidence if people keep saying yes to you and giving you the opportunities that you've been looking for. So that kind of leads me into the next question that I'd like to ask you is besides building confidence, what would you say was the most difficult part of starting your business while young?
1: figuring out, yeah, figuring out my business. I mean, that's vague, but I mean, like figuring out who exactly I want to work with. Like, who do I like working with? Who gets the most bang for their buck working with me? Like, what am I really good at? Like, I know that I'm really smart. I know that I understand the financial industry. I know that I can help people, but like, who can I help the most? Who does it make sense for me to help? What should I be charging them? What should I be saying that I'm offering? Like it's one of those things where like financial services is so broad and there are some people walking around saying like, I work with 55 year olds who are gonna retire within the next 10 years and they have $2 million to invest and they owned a McDonald's franchise and that's who I work with. And then it's like, okay, well then you just need to like knock them dead. Every single McDonald's franchise owner if you know what you're gonna charge them you know what you can do for them you know, that's who you're going to work with and that's who you're going after. But it's so hard, especially when you like don't have any clients or you have very few clients and your clients are kind of like, you know, have accidentally fallen into your laugh and like just you're saying something general. And so you get like a client who's 20 something, a client who's 40 something, a client who's 80 something and they're all Mm. needing different things. You're able to to deliver the service to all of those different people. But now what's your marketing message? And so like figuring out, who a good client is or not, like who you really want to work with, like to work with, can provide value to, like what your competitive advantage is versus like all the other financial people for me. And then like, what the heck am I going to charge? Because some of what you, you know, some of what am I going to charge has to do with, like what you're offering. Some of it has to do with like client perception of like what you should charge based on the market. Like there's all these different variables. So, I mean, that's a business, right? Like if you have a lemonade stand, you have to know like, what's your recipe? Like what kind of lemonade are you making? How much are you charging per cup? Where you should set up? And then who you're marketing to, like who you're inviting. Are you just standing on the corner and waiting for anyone who drives by? Are you posting flyers in every single Starbucks and Panera in the area? Like you need to know those things and then you run your, your lemonade stand. But like when you're in business and you're just good at something, you're not forced to come up with those ideas. And it's like really intimidating to pick something and to like have trial and error when you're like actively working with clients. So that is like, that was a lot, but I mean, that is the best thing that you can have phrase a different way like you're saying what do you wish that you had besides confidence like I wish that I had more clarity about who I wanted to work with like I wish that I just like thought about it and like picked like These are people that I like in life. (laughs) You know, here's the kind of person that I like. And then just went after those people. But instead, I just like cast a wide net, which I think that everyone does. Oh, absolutely. Um, And then you just
0: learn as you go along that, like, nope, that
1: person's not for me. (laughs) That was exactly what I was going to say is that you kind
0: of have to go through like the really horrible experiences (laughs) to learn who you absolutely don't want to work with. And it ends up bringing you closer to the people that you really do want to work with. And it really helps you to figure out who that like perfect ideal client or customer is for your business. Yeah. And on the opposite end of the most difficult part of starting your business while young, what was the most rewarding? The flexibility. Definitely. I
1: mean, I don't know. I mean, okay. So I don't want to like make, empty promises or whatever. Cause like, obviously this isn't everyone's experience. Right. But like for me, like when I went into starting my business, I had a job, like I had a job offer from somewhere from like a corporate bank. And it was a job that like I hated, like I didn't hate it because there was anything really wrong with it, but it was just like, I don't know if you've ever watched The Office, but I hate The Office. It like makes me cringe. I hate office space. I hate like all of those, like the idea of like the people who work in cubicles in an office, like I hate the office politics, all of that. And so like, that's what I didn't like. I didn't like going to work every day and like having people wasting half their day going and getting coffees or complaining about how they were missing like their daughter's ballet recital or rehearsal or whatever. So like I got a job offer to work at this place and they offered me, I think 45 or $50,000 as a salary. And I was like, oh my God, this is like my worst nightmare to like show up to an office with people who don't want to be there every single mm-hmm. day and work a nine to five and have to ask, you know, have three weeks vacation and have to like work there for five years to be able to get five weeks vacation and like to advocate for my little raise every year. Like I did not want to do that. So like when I was starting my right. business, I was like, if I can't make at least forty five thousand or whatever, I think it was forty five thousand. If I can't make forty five thousand dollars working for myself. There's something wrong. So in the beginning, I just wanted to like make at least the amount that I would make working for that company, but being able to make it how I wanted on my terms, not going to the office every day, or not go. You know, maybe I go to my own office that I actually like. I can, you know, have have flexibility over my schedule. So it was more that I didn't mind if I had to like work eighty hours if I like made the same amount of money and could build something on my terms. And then as I started like. My first year, I ended up doing really, really well. I made like $100,000 my first year. And it was like the first six months, I made like nothing, like $0. I was like, crap, I'm going to have to go get another job, (laughs) go get a job. And then the next six months, then it just like things just started, you know, falling into line. And I didn't know if I could do it again the second year, but I was like, oh, this is really cool. I made more than what I made, than what I would have made taking my job. Um, So then like year two, I was like, okay, I'll be successful. And like, I'm like 22 or something or 23 at the time. Like I'll be successful if I can make the same amount of last year or more and take every single Friday off. So then it was, I like that. Yeah. So then I could do that. And then my second year I did do that. And then year three, I was like, okay, I'm successful. One of the perks of working for myself is that I can take as much vacation as I want. But I was like, doing seminars and stuff in real estate offices and realtors were always like, I can't go on vacation because I need my phone, you know, attached to my ear. I need to be able to answer the phone at 6 a.m. or 10 p.m. whenever my client needs me or otherwise they're going to sell their, buy their house with somebody else. So then I was like, hmm, okay, well, I will be successful in my third year if I can take a vacation, if I can take a month-long vacation out of the country and not be a slave to my phone and not have my business like die. Right. So then I did that. <laughs> <So> I was <laughs> like, that was the great thing about being young is that if I didn't make the money that I, that I wanted to make, it wasn't the end of the world. Nobody's really relying on me except for myself, right? I could eat mm. ramen noodles or like cans of tuna if I needed to or wanted to. I didn't, you know, I didn't have any kids or like a mortgage or anything like that. And I could like mess around with my time. It's like, I can take every Friday off. I can go on vacation for a month and be in like Thailand or something. As long as I could afford to go where I wanted to go, I had a ton of flexibility. And some of my friends who worked for companies, they were like, my vacation got rejected or I can only go for two weeks or whatever. And so like, that's the cool thing. It's like, you're yes. young, you get to live life before you settle down and have to be an adult. Not that I ever really... I mean, I don't really think I'm settled down now, even though I'm married. Um, But yeah, I mean, I just think that like you have so much opportunity and you can say like, I only feel like working 20 hours now. And if that, if the income that you can make off of 20 hours fits your lifestyle, awesome. If you want to work seven days a week, awesome. Like, Cool to have that flexibility when you're young, like the flexibility of a retired person when you're young.
0: Totally. And for those of you who are listening, th- just a few days ago, Nikki had posted on Facebook uh, asking if anyone would like to rent out her and her husband's apartment to be snowbirds the winter. So it just shows that being your own boss can lead to incredible flexibility opportunities like this to not be tied to a specific location or working time or anything like that and really work on your own terms. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I mean, so the, yeah, the whole snowboarding thing is like me and my husband, my husband was a teacher, so he kind of was a slave to like the school schedule, right? Like his vacations are specific school vacations and he has the summer off and all of that. So like we would go to California for the summer. He got laid off as part of, you know, COVID-19 like reduction in force. And so he's home now and I'm like, okay, well I can work remotely. So let's spend a couple months in California. So at first we thought we were going to spend like a month or two. And then we were like, yeah, let's just spend three months or so. And it's like, I can do that because I can work from anywhere. But that's actually another thing that I want to point out about working for yourself is that sometimes when you work for other businesses, like the owners of those businesses are like really set in their ways. Like there is a lot of fear around being an entrepreneur and like having all the balls in the air. Even if you have Especially if you have employees, actually, and you have to worry about payroll and stuff. So, I think that, like, depending on your industry, what the convention is can be what's forced on you if you're working somewhere as an employee. So, like, in the financial services industry, I know guys that I've been in like coaching programs with and stuff that during the pandemic in the beginning, they were like, oh, my business is going to suffer because like I refuse to do zoom calls. Like, I'm just going to wait till COVID ends. Literally, they would say this, like, I'm just going to wait until, until COVID passes, until I can meet with my clients again, because like, I'm not going to do zoom calls. So everything is falling apart. Clients are like scared, nervous, blah, blah, blah. And like, these advisors are like trying to pick up the phone and talk to their clients, but like picking up the phone and talking to your clients is fine but it's different than like being able to look them in the face and screen share and like reassure them that their stuff is good. But like a lot of these guys were like, Oh no, you know, I can't do zoom. Some of it was like, I can't do zoom because my office doesn't let me do that because it's not compliant, which is like, okay, well ask your compliance department, what video software you can use, use Skype, use Webex. Like there's a lot of technology, figure something out. Yeah. Um, But a lot of it is just like, well, this is the way we've always done things and blah, blah, blah. And for me, like from, I've been doing virtual client consults for years. I like, I have clients in different states that I've never met in person. I have clients here who like met me in person for the first meeting. And then after that I've offered virtual and they've always taken me up on virtual cause they just rather not leave the house and drive to my office. Like the world is different now. So like, I've always said, okay, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is my in office day, Monday and Friday. If I even work Mondays or Fridays, then it's only virtual and people have loved it. So when the pandemic hit, like I didn't have to pivot, I was already doing that. And like, yes, so that's a competitive advantage is like, you can think outside the box, you can implement what works for you. It's just so cool.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, that's one thing that you mentioned that is so po- important is competitive advantages and thinking about your unique selling proposition and what sets you apart from other people in your industry that would make people want to hire you and work with you compared to someone else. So besides really thinking outside of the box with your firm, what would you say led you to your success? Ah. Uh...
1: I mean, the first thing that I think led me to my success is that in the beginning when I was just learning, even though I know that I'm really smart, I knew that I did not know what I was doing in this industry. So like I had an idea of like what my parents' financial situation was and stuff like that because that came about after my dad passed away. I kind of started to understand and like peel behind the curtain, peer behind the curtain wrap rather Um, so I kind of understood that like, whoa, people need this because my parents didn't have it and they make a lot of money and they're really smart, but like I was 21 or 22. Like I didn't really understand how a mortgage worked. I wasn't paying for my own insurance. I wasn't paying, you know what I mean? Like I'd worked since I was 16 years old doing like retail or working at Panera or whatever. And then I worked for that corporate bank that had given me the job offer while I was in college. Mm Um, but I didn't really understand from experience what the people who I wanted to work with were dealing with. And I really wanted to understand that. Like I, I knew that like in order for me to build a successful business, I had to learn from people who had more experience than me. And so I used to say that like, I'm an ankle biter. I wouldn't like say that to the people who I was trying to like bite their ankle. <laughs> I'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but I would be like, okay. You know, I, I'd, I I'd identify since I was in, um, like a super salesy culture, um, the firm that I worked for or worked with whatever, I was like a contractor, um, would have this leaderboard. So it would show you like of the people who are established in their businesses, who's making the most money. And it would literally say like, this person's making a hundred you know, $1.5 million this year. This person's making $800 and something thousand dollars this year. And it would literally show how much money they were making in commissions each year, like ranked from one to five. And then it would have like the rookie of the year board, which I got to be a rookie of the year sometimes. But um, the rookie of the year board was like the brand new people like me, who it's like, I think it was like, if you're in your first three years in business, who is like the top producer in the office. So who's like sold the most stuff um, in the office? Because it was all about like, who's making the most money? So I would look at who was on the established leaderboard and I would reach out to those people. If I, you know, was networking and I like got introduced to a potential client that like was a big client, I could tell might be a big client. Cause like you can always tell, right? Like you can tell whether or not somebody's going to be like a big fish or a small fish. Um, I would book them. I would um, reach out to, One of the guys, one of the established guys in the office, and they were always men. And I would say, "Hey, I have this client. You know, I think they have like a million dollars, and this and this and this. They're talking about retirement. You know, they said that they would book a meeting with me. Can I run the meeting with you? Like, I'll give you this client. Like, I'll go into it as like I'm the junior advisor or I'm your assistant. I'll pretend to be whatever, um, so that I can see you do what you do. So I'll set the meeting." the couple will come in and the couple will meet with me and you, me and the other person who's been in business for 10 years, who's making, you know, a million dollars a year. We have different businesses. You know what I mean? Like we have nothing to do with each other, even though we're affiliated with the same larger company. And I'm telling this person, that I'm going to give them this client, this lead and book the appointment and do all the follow-up and like, crappy, you know, $10 an hour work for them and I'll give them 50% of whatever we make off this client. So if we make $20,000 off of this client, you know, I'll give, they get $10,000, even though it was my client, I did all the legwork, whatever, just so I can learn from you and watch you like I'll give you half my big client, which is like, that's a huge deal. When you're making like $0 (laughs) and you have a potential $20,000 client, a lot of people who are young, I feel like are stupid in that sense, in that, not that they're stupid, but like they make stupid decisions when there's like a big potential sale hanging over. So they're like, oh my God, um, this is a $20,000 client. I could make $20,000. And even though they might blow it, they would rather try to get the $20,000 client and get zero than to just give 10,000 to somebody, definitely nail the client and learn a ton. So like I was the person who would bring it to somebody who knew what they were doing and learn a ton. And I did that so many times. I probably gave up like $150,000 or something in revenue in like the early years when it really, really mattered. But that's how I really saw how people ran their business. And I saw what was Good or what I liked about how they ran their businesses. And I saw what I hated and what I never wanted to do or what I wanted to like change or do differently or something. So it was really cool. And I got to see firsthand like what people who were in business for 10 years were charging, how they were charging it, how they were selling it. Um, Because usually people aren't really transparent about what their pricing is and what they're doing if you're a competitor. Right. But if you're giving them
0: money, they will. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And I love that you shared that example and piece of advice because it is so true. And it's funny because I have done similar things where, when I was kind of in the beginning stages of my business, I'd have bigger clients come to me that wanted quite a few services. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this on my own. So I actually have a few marketing agency clients that I support their clients. And so what I do with these bigger Um, potential clients is I'd bring them to the agency and say, Hey, this person is looking for X, Y, and Z. I'm going to bring them to you, but I'll handle the social and see how you do everything else. And just that experience, exactly what you said, gives you so much insight into how you either want to run your business or don't want to run your business. And I know that because of that, I've taken these different systems and processes that my marketing agency clients have, and I've then implemented them into my own business because I see what's working. And Mm -hmm. so you're exactly right. People need to be able to take those opportunities to learn from the people who are doing it right. So that way they can see how it can work for them too.
1: Yeah. And if you're starting out, you don't have to like, I know that if somebody's starting out and listening to this, they're probably going to be like, okay, but like, I need to get one of those big clients to be able to learn. So what do I do in the meantime? And like, what you do in the meantime is you like, do your research about your competitors and like, or who you think that your competitors are. And then you reach out to them and like, you don't be cheap. So like, if somebody like, I have a lot of, different women financial advisors who are like either struggling or starting out or whatever, reach out to me and say, Oh my God, can I pick your brain? Whatever. And like, because I like doing that and I'm established and I have really good work-life balance, which not a lot of people do then like, I'm willing, if it makes sense for my schedule for that week or that couple of weeks or whatever, usually nine times out of 10, I'll like spend an hour or two on the phone or zoom or get coffee with somebody and like not even blink about it. But when I was like, busier and doing more and trying to like do marketing and do other things because i was trying to like roll out different programs and like build out different revenue streams and like was dabbling in things i was really really busy i was like working on clients and trying to figure out how to grow my business and like i didn't have even though i could take fridays off or take a month-long vacation i worked a lot more than i work now like went to all these networking events whatever back then If somebody came and asked me and said, like, hey, I know that you're successful because I can tell that you're, like, moving and shaking and people talk about you and whatever, can you, you know, can I pick your brain? I would probably say no or, like, not say no, but, like, I wouldn't give them the same amount of time as I do now. But if somebody came to me and said, like, hey, you're doing what I think that I want to be doing can I buy you lunch or can I pay you like, what's your hourly rate? Like, can I pay you like a hundred bucks or something to like talk to you for an hour or two? I would be like, sure. Now I'm getting paid for my time. Since you're paying me for my time, I'll give you all my secrets. I'll sit here and I'll tell you what I charge and stuff because like you paid for it. And like, how cool is that? That's actually like cheap, right? Like to get something that otherwise is like kind of secret (laughs) to be able to pay, to be able to like, buy someone lunch with which like might cost you 50 bucks or a hundred bucks for the two of you or to like pay them for their time. If it's virtual, like that's, that's invaluable. Like coaches, there are a lot of coaches that charge like way more than that for like not one-on-one personal advice and they don't really peel back the curtain. Um, so that's, that's some perspective is like, if you have someone who's like inspired you or who you see doing something that you think that you want to do, and you want to start a business like that, talk to them. And if you have to talk to five different people and pay them each a hundred bucks or something, it's like, that's 500 bucks, but like, is it worth $500 to be able to pick the, pick the brain of and dive into for an hour or two or more, like the, the like business model and plan and details of like five different people in your industry who you can like get great ideas from, learn from model your offerings after it. Like you're kind of getting like a a mini business, not a business plan, but like a mini like business 101 bootcamp in your industry by doing that. And it's like, yeah, it's painful when you're making zero to spend 500 bucks. But like, that's just, it's, I don't know. I just don't know why everyone doesn't do that. Like I never thought to do it, but that's something that like everyone should do. But the key is, is to like, make it worth their while. Like what's in it for them to
0: help you Totally. And I think that's a great thing to think about is that any type of mentor relationship should always be mutual, mutually beneficial, whether you're paying the other person or you're doing something to help them out, whether it's sending them business or anything like that. But like you said, it can really do a lot, especially if they're sharing their exact business plan, processes, systems, things they've learned. And all of that stuff, I mean, you can get an incredible ROI from that just from being able to take that firsthand information and put it into your business. Yep. And one thing that I want to ask you too, Nikki, is if there was one thing you wish you did differently with your business or one thing you know now that you wish you knew then, what would it be and why? <sighs>
1: I don't know that I wish I did anything differently. And I'm not saying that because I did everything perfectly because that is not true at all. But I just, one of this, this guy who I've gone to his conferences, who like coaches financial planners um, said one time at, at one of the conferences that I attended that like, he had to build a dumb business to build a smart business. And I think that for me, that was so true is like, the business I have and the clients I have look nothing like the business I had and the clients I had when I started my business in 2011. But if I had tried to get these clients and charge what I charge and have the model that I have when I was new, I don't know that I would still be in business. Like I don't know that I would even have a business. Like I had to like learn the ropes and start off how I did and like fight tooth and nail and like deal with all of the stuff that I dealt with over the years to kind of figure it out and like that goes for like all of the decisions I made in my business I mean there were some like just an example is like early on when you're in like the financial services world everything is like think about like white old men that's who's like in the industry. It's very like archaic. Everything's on paper. Nothing's electronic. Like the financial services industry is probably like 20 years behind like the marketing industry and like any other normal industry, like anywhere else, like, you know, things change very quickly. But with that, it's like a lot of big financial institutions that have a lot of rules, a lot of resistance to change. And like the people in the industry are typically like older. Like a lot of the financial planners are, you know, old white guys and it's a really archaic industry. So the thing about that is, is that I was coming in and I'm like young and hungry and want to do all these things. And I'm realizing that I just don't, I don't just want to sell something. And I don't just want to have like a financial website that like is gray and Navy and like says like, I do insurance and investments and retirement planning and employee benefits, which is like what most financial services websites say is basically like any financial product or like service that you can offer. They list out like somebody's going to go to their website and be like, hmm, from this menu, I want to buy insurance, I want to buy retirement, I want to buy whatever. Like it's just very generic. And so I saw that, like, okay. I'm young and hungry. I want to be able to charge for my advice and my intellectual capital. How do I do that? So early on when when you're affiliated with these companies, they teach you to sell. They don't teach you how to like build a marketing plan or like create a funnel or to be able to like have an email list because like a lot of those kind of things they do not want you touching. Like, right. bec- because, like, there's all this, like, compliance and the financial services industry hasn't evolved, they look at it as, like, a liability if you send out a-, a newsletter to your clients or if you're, like, you could be over-promising and under-delivering. You could be making, you know, false claims or, like, inflated claims or something like that. So like, they just want you to like pick up the phone and cold call people and sell. So I saw that and I saw that I wasn't going to be able to like thrive. I felt like I wasn't going to be able to thrive in that industry, um, without some other advice. So I started looking at different, like business coaches. One of my friends, like invited me to a conference that was a business coach that does marketing for like small businesses. So it was like, if you wanted to start a business from scratch and you want to do coaching or teach somebody something, you know, this conference was for people who wanted to start small businesses. And so I kind of came into the coaching world through that. And I was like desperate to like, I didn't want to double my revenue by like selling more stuff to more people. Because part of what I learned in like my dumb business early on is that Some of my clients I made like $20,000 off of and spent five hours with. And some of my clients I spent 50 hours with and made like 20 bucks. And I'm not even lying about that. Like all the paperwork, Mm. follow-up, educating them about it. There was no, like when you work on commission, it's like being a realtor. If you sell million dollar houses all day, then you make really good commissions. If you sell $100,000 houses all day and you drive people around who like take five years to buy and when they finally buy, they buy like a $100,000 house, like you can't eat. So it's the same thing with financial services. It's like, I'd meet somebody. I don't know if they're going to be a big client or a small client until I already start working with them. But once I realize that I'm only going to make $20 off of them, I can't exactly say like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to be your financial planner because I'm only going to make $20. Because I kept getting like taught that you want to work with everyone because even if you only make $20 off of somebody, their brother might be a millionaire and they might refer that person to you. And like, you just never know. That person might inherit money tomorrow. So it was this like, Take on a thousand clients if you can. And that's how you're going to make more money is by volume. And some clients are going to be A clients, which are people who you make a lot off of. And some clients are going to be D clients. I kid you not. They like literally have this, like your A clients are your best clients. Your B clients are your oh, okay God. clients. Your C <laughs> clients, you want to give to somebody else. And your D clients run from those. But if you have to do business oh, with God. them, not lying. That's what they teach you. And so I was like, "Well." I don't want any CND clients. I mean, no one wants them, but I literally don't want to take them at all. But how do I, how do you pre-screen people? Like you don't know what's in someone's bank account or like what their situation is. If I can't charge them a fee and screen them by saying, Hey, I charge five grand. Can you afford that or not? And then if they can afford it, they pay me. If they can't, they don't. If I can't do that because it's all about what products they buy for me, how do I do that? So I saw the marketing industry, like I saw the coaching industry and people who were teaching marketing to small businesses as a way for me to like come into the 21st century with financial planning. Um, because I thought that like, oh, these people can teach me like how to have a great website, how to have a freebie, how to be able to, like, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I learned some of this stuff at that first conference that like, whoa, people do Facebook ads, people do like what Ashley does, like people mm. do you know, social media marketing and like, there's like drip campaigns and there's whatever. So I was like, oh, if I can get coaching from these people and apply it to the financial services industry, I will be killing it. Like I'll be, that's how I'm going to make my smart business. Even though I wasn't thinking about it in those terms, that's how I'm going to stop working with 500 people, 300 of which I make less than a hundred dollars off of. And the other ones are basically like subsidizing the crappy ones like I this is how I'm going to work with more qualified people and so I ended up I went to one of those coaching things and I said to one of the coaches hey I'm a financial planner I'm like in the financial services industry I know we have a lot of compliance stuff do you deal with a lot of financial services people because I need to make sure that You know, you can work around compliance with me. And of course, this is something that you're going to learn as you start a business is there are people who will say anything to sell you and they believe that they're telling the truth, but they're not. They could have worked with one person in financial services and that person got no benefit out of working with them, but they're still going to say like, oh yeah, I specialize in working. Yeah, I work with a ton of financial planners, blah, blah, blah. So I kid you not, I probably spent over a hundred thousand dollars in like those years, on credit cards, on whatever, on coaching. Like on coaching that I made zero dollars off of. But even still, the reason why I'm telling you guys that is I wouldn't go back and say, oh, I wish I never did any of that. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, I would have a lot more money in the bank if I didn't invest that way. But me spending money, like me being able to put a $36,000 coaching program on a credit card because I was so confident that like, I'll be able to make the money back and I'll make it work. Like I want to be successful that bad and grow my business that bad that I'm willing to invest at that level. Like I have clients who are in their fifties who have never spent $36,000 on anything except for like their house or a car or something and not all at once. Like being able to like flex that muscle and like spend that money and like be under the gun like that actually in a sick way, like really helped open up my mind to like, if that person could get me to spend $36,000 and then not deliver anything imagine like I can charge anything, not really yes. that I can charge anything, but it's like, I can charge anything. And guess what? I'm not going to be like them and just lie and take people's money. I'm going to overpromise and over deliver. So I shouldn't feel bad about charging somebody thousand dollars or $2,000 or $5,000 a year to work with them, because there are people literally walking around charging $36,000. And all you get is like a monthly group call.
0: right so it's like if they can do it so can you and you can be able to charge what you want and know that you're worth it and be able to make the money that you want from it and so kind of like the follow-up question I have to that which I think really relates to people right now is why do you think it's so important for individuals to start a business at a young age specifically
1: time I mean I think so I think we've all heard the whole like if you invest $200 a month, when you're 25, then by the time you're 60, you, it will be a million dollars. But if you start at 45, then it will only be, you know what I mean? Like then right. it will only be $400,000 and you'll have put away so much more and you'll have so much less for it. So I know that compound interest, like doesn't really translate exactly in a business, but I, I, I think it does. Like, I think like the value that you get out of having control over your life, control over your paycheck, the like, if you're younger, first of all, you can fail faster because you have less riding on it. You have less obligations, right? Like even if you're young and you're married, if your spouse has a paycheck, you guys can probably live off of one paycheck if you're in your twenties and you don't have any kids. Like you have so much more flexibility so that you can fail fast, figure it out. You don't have to work with who you don't want to. You can kind of figure it out. And then over time, now you have experience and like, you'll be in your business for like 40 years or 30 years. You have so much experience. You can see how things change. You can pivot. You can whatever. Like I've been in business for almost 10 years now and I'm 32. i It's 10 years in March that I've been in business. And... Um, That's crazy. Like I've been in business for for 10 years. I've learned so much that I can now translate into other businesses. I've also been earning money at a higher level than most people my age for longer. So even though I made like a lot of bad investments in my business, like business investments and made a lot of mistakes, like those mistakes have enabled me to learn from them. I can like teach my clients that and I can also apply that to other businesses. So now it's like my husband's starting a business. I have so much different insight and personal experience, even though I'm in the financial services industry and he's creating like a tool to help kids tie their shoelaces. There's so much overlap in all these different businesses because every small business owner wears like 500 hats that like being in business young, all if you can have a higher income, great. That means that you can invest more in different things. And even if not, you can translate that into a lot of different like revenue streams and experiences and things like that. So
0: yeah, I think
1: that is just like
0: so valuable. Absolutely. And Nikki, you have shared such great pieces of advice that I know our listeners will find so valuable as they listen to this episode, but I'd love to ask you that if there's one last piece of advice you'd like to give for someone who may just be starting out, what would it be?
1: So advice that I live by is make a decision and then make it the right one. And I think that that's really good advice for any of you is like, you're gonna make mistakes, but if if you make a decision and then you're constantly second guessing it or backpedaling or whatever, then you're never going to, you're not gonna learn from those experiences in the same way. So if you make a decision and you're committed that you're gonna do everything that you can to try to make it work within reason, like, I think that that's so valuable and that you'd be surprised how many times you think that something's going to fail, but then something great actually came out of it because you just were so con. Like if you're confident in your ability to make good decisions and then you don't look back and you make them work, it's just like such a valuable skill that has served me really, really well. And I think that that can really help you be successful in business and, and basically in life.
0: Yes. oh, I love that. And that is such an important thing for people to remember, really, not only just when they're just starting out, but also as they continue to go through like their business, maybe a year down the line, five years down the line, 10 years down the line. It's something that can really be applied to any point of being a business owner. Yep, definitely. And Nikki, I would love to, first of all, thank you for being a guest today. Because like I said, I know I, I received a lot of information just from being able to listen to what you had to share from your experiences and pieces of advice. And so I, I would love for you to share with our listeners where they could find you online in case they'd like to connect with you further.
1: Oh, so my Instagram, which Ashley takes care of, <laughs> is at Peterkin Financial. Uh, my personal Instagram is at more Nikki. Um, you can find me online. My website's peterkinfinancial.com um, or you can email me. My email address is Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E at peterkinfinancial.com.
0: Perfect. And I'll make sure to put those links in the show notes in case people missed it. But Nikki, thank you so much again for being a guest today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Thanks so much for listening today. I'd love it if you could subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with those who could use it most. For show notes and more information, go to toceo.com forward slash podcast.